Welcome to Vibe Talk Music. I'm your host, Vibe Queen. In this season, we will get vulnerable with a variety of guests discussing their journey to self-awareness and how we can level up the collective consciousness in the music industry. So let's vibe and talk music. This episode is brought to you by Artist Collective, guiding artists and entrepreneurs through the music industry. Learn more and join for free today at artistcollect.com and get back to the music. Hello, this is Vibe Queen and welcome to Vibe Talk Music. I'm super excited to have our guest this week, Cheryl B. Engelhart. Um, she is a, a singer, songwriter, and a composer. And she knows her way around a film score, a Broadway musical, new age mindfulness. She's a classically trained pianist turned jingle composer turned rock chick turned advocate. And she is here at Vibe Talk Music and I'm super excited to get to know her. Um, she's classically trained. Uh, she's done so much in the industry, so I'm super Super excited to really pick her brain and just understand what made her turn from major to independent. So welcome, Cheryl. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what made you go from working with, you know, the majors to now starting your own coaching business and then also, you know, going from um, working with people in the industry to now basically taking things into your own hands? Yeah, I, it's funny because like the industry, it, it, it means so many different things for me. Like I got my start in the advertising industry and working in sort of the corporate world there. And and it was great for a while until it was not great, which I think is sort of every major label artist story. Like it's great until it's not great. Like it gives you a lot of hope and maybe some money up front. And then at some point it becomes not great for, for most people. I'm not saying that's, that's everyone. Um, and for me, that was the case within the advertising industry, um, working specifically around writing music for commercials, but it was a kind of the corporate, you know, the nine to five kind of corporate gig, even though it was creative and it was in that creative industry. Um, but it, it ended up being something where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm working in the studio. There, there are all these amazing studios at my fingertips. I should work after hours after people go home and work on my own record. And I sort of started doing my own thing independently, even though I was in this kind of corporate situation. So it never really occurred to me that I wanted to hop from corporate advertising world to corporate label world. It kind of made sense for me to to do it on my own just because I had already seen how that world worked. And it was great for a lot of reasons, but at the same time, I was like, there are a lot of parameters. There are a lot of constraints. There are a lot of, um, there's a lot of like, at the time, and I say, you know, this is like 13 years ago when I was working there, but there's definitely like a old dudes club kind of feel. And that, that was in the advertising world. And I've heard that about the, the music industry in terms of the, how the label structures were working back then. So it just wasn't interesting to me. <laughs> like it just not, it wasn't like it didn't work or I tried and it failed. It just like never occurred to me that that was going to be a world I wanted to enter into. Um, as soon as I started touring or performing around New York city, I immediately met a ton of other independent musicians. And I was like, these are my people. Like, this is, this is great. Like it wasn't, it wasn't to me like something to strive for to go get signed on a record label. Gotcha. Yeah. So I know you studied at, at, at Juilliard. So can you give us a little bit of a timeline? So did you like grow up in music? Did you kind of have this epiphany of like, okay, I'm going to go to Juilliard. I'm going to be this, you know, musician this is what I'm going to do as a career. Like, how did you even stumble into um, your, your resume? Like I, I looked at your one sheet and I was just like, wow, the amount of placements you've gotten. I'm so impressed by what you've accomplished. So how did you even accomplish all of those accolades? 
Thank you. Um, I've been playing the piano since I was two. I was always into the musicals and singing and choirs and things like that. And through high school, I went to Cornell University um, to be a scientist. Like I was a biology major and a couple semesters in my advisor was like, you're taking so many like extracurricular credits in music that if you took two more classes, you'd actually be a double major. They didn't have minors when I was there. They, and so wow. I was like, okay, sure, I'll double major in music. And so I learned, I ended up focusing in on music technology. So learning to film score and do all the tech behind lining up media and all that sort of stuff. And so I graduated with two degrees, one in music and one in biology. And my first job was scuba diving for the government doing water quality research. And that kind of like, we took a break for like a month, we had a month off. And then in that month, I, I got a couple of jobs. Like one was taking me to Rome to write music for a website that was developing videos for the website. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go do this. I'm not gonna go underwater anymore. I'm gonna go do this. And that that turned into meeting someone that you know worked in the advertising industry. And then I was there for about four years in New York City doing music for commercials. Um, and so one thing sort of led to another. And uh, as I when I left the Jingle House and I started touring and doing that stuff on my own, I realized that in order to create a little bit more income than touring was allowing, I always, either broke even or made money from my tours. I don't, I do not understand artists that lose money on tours. Like I really don't, you're not touring the right way, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but it wasn't an, quite enough to like feel comfortable living in New York city, even though my apartment was like $400 a month. I was living in like the middle of Harlem and it was amazing. Um, but I was still like, okay, what else? And so I started writing film scores and I was doing a lot of like really terrible horror films, like first time director, horror. like, I don't know why every first time director is like, let me do a horror film. But I scored a lot of those. And I learned that I was getting asked to do more orchestral stuff. And I was like, I have this hole in my music education, and it's called orchestration. So that's when I was like, let me see if I can get into doing a Juilliard program that wasn't a degree program. So I didn't actually get a degree from Juilliard, but I did do some extra work studying orchestration at Juilliard. And it was amazing to like, my final exam was you had to write, um, had to orchestrate a piece that had never been orchestrated for string for an orchestra before. And then you had to write it out perfectly so that at first sight, the Juilliard orchestra would perform this piece. So it was like, you wow. can't have anything in the wrong key or it is going to sound wonky. Right, right. John Cage kind of crap. So I ended up um, orchestrating Gnarls Barkley's Crazy for orchestra. And it took like a minute into the piece before the players knew what song it was because it was like this sort of film scoring introduction. Mm -hmm. And it was totally like so cool to see the 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 players be like oh like realize what people are getting to and that like the course um so i knew then that that and as soon as i took that class i don't know it's like the universe is listening but i started to get a lot of like orchestration gigs like actual people saying hey can you hire a live orchestra and do this like trailer piece and i i did like a series of trailer music like epic big with a live orchestra, some of the members of that orchestra actually, that Juilliard orchestra. So it was very funny that I was like, oh, I'm gonna learn something like this. And the universe is like, I'm listening. Let's let's pick up that 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 ball right there. And literally one of those pieces I wrote like 10 years ago just got placed in a Star Trek promo like a couple months ago. So there it's like amazing. You know, kind of kind of funny stuff. So yeah, so that's how I got myself to to studying at Juilliard, which was not getting a degree, so totally different than than people that right, college there but it was it was an amazing place to kind of fill a couple holes that I had had in my education that is incredible wow so double major super super impressive um so what made you decide um to step away from the the second degree altogether was it just you re you recognized that music was your your calling and you just put all of your energy into that was there like a specific moment that you recognized I'm going to just walk away from that 
Well, I wasn't, I, I didn't do those classes to get a degree. I knew that I was doing it to actually learn the stuff in the classes. Mm -hmm. um, I had for a moment was like, oh, if I take these classes, they'll, they'll apply to um, a master's degree if I wanted to go down, down that route. And I just realized that all the stuff I would have to take to get the master's was not serving where my career was going. I was getting a lot of opportunities and I didn't feel like halting all of that in order to just like add a couple letters behind my name meant mm -hmm. anything. So, um, so yeah, so I, I literally went there. I was like, I'm going to take classes somewhere. Like it would be great if it was at Juilliard because of the, the prestige and, and just their programming was really phenomenal and to be able to have your, the Juilliard orchestra perform something that you've, you've arranged was kind of huge. So that was one of the reasons why I was like, I could have gotten that information from a lot of different sources, but it, it was great to be able to, to do that there. Um, and I think if I were to continue any education, I would go back there because I feel like I now I have a little loyalty to that program. Makes sense. So when did, um, I guess, new age and meditation make its way into your life um, as, a, as a secondary genre? Was that something that was always a part of your life or did that get introduced to you as a, as yeah, a practice that's, first? That's such a great question. Like, so it was like all my 20s was like film scores, commercial scores, score, score, scores. And then I was starting to do my own pop records. I was touring. I was doing singer, songwriter, full pop, you know, chick pop rock stuff. And, you know, I, enter my 30s and I I probably since I was like 29 but I had a couple from when I was like 13 I always experienced anxiety anxiety attacks in particular and for me they came about monthly and I'm generally not an anxious person so it's not like general anxiety where I'm feeling it all the time I'm like a happy person and then I get anxious about getting anxiety and then anxiety hits and I couldn't figure it out and for me it looks like food poisoning like I'm out of the game for like three days like it takes something to recover wow. um and for weeks and, and months and even years, I was like, what is this? I thought I had like a food allergy. Like they were like, I went to different doctors and it was finally like, I went to holistic doctors and all these things. And finally it was like an actual like gastrointestinologist who was like, what's going on in your life? Who actually asked me like what, what was going on? And he was like, I think this is panic attacks. Like you are not allergic to milk. You could drink a cow. Like, you know, we did lactose, all the things. Right. And and when I and when I heard that, I was like, what? Like, what's that? That's not a thing. Like, that's the thing that other people get. And so I started doing a little bit of research into what that was. And it went away and then it came back and it went away and came back. And then finally, like a couple of years ago, like three years ago, I was like, OK, enough. Like, I need to handle this so mm -hmm. that so not that it goes away necessarily, but that it's not causing me suffering. Right. That it maybe it's a part of my life, but it's not causing suffering. So um I just started going down some rabbit holes and really learning that like gratitude is one of the big things. So in the morning, I write three things that I'm grateful for every day. Um, and also the thing that in the past 24 hours was like the most, the greatest moment for me in the past 24 mm. hours. And I, in all the research and, you know, I was a scientist, so I have this like dorky, like I need some evidence. All the research shows that when you start looking for the positive moments, your brain shifts from looking for the negative, which I'm very good at looking for what's wrong so that I can fix it. I'm a fixer. And so I started to retrain my brain there. And then in doing that research, I learned about meditation and yoga, two things that I thought I never could do because I couldn't sit still. And I have like, I get bored easily and I have a lot of energy and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I was like, you know what, let me just try an app. I found an app and I think, let's say today, today I'm 776 days straight of doing at least five, five minutes of meditation and five minutes of yoga. Wow, that is incredible. 
Thank you. And so that's like two and a half years ish. And so two months into starting a daily routine, I just kind of did it as a challenge. And when the app keeps track for me, I'm very competitive with myself. So I was like, okay, game on. Um, Let's get to the 60 day, you know, (laughs) and as soon as I um, two months into starting that I haven't had an anxiety attack since. So I realized that I was onto something for myself. And so I kind of explored different meditation practices. Sometimes I go longer and I've done a couple like weekends things. And I started to look for music to enhance that practice. And I found music that either like put me to sleep. It was like droney mm-hmm. music that would l- let my mind go to like my grocery lists. You know, like I, I it wasn't keeping me present or it was like very happy, like melodic piano music that my, my mind would like latch onto the music elements of it. So it was almost like too musical, like classical music wouldn't work for me. And so I kind of was like, I oh, yeah, maybe there's an opportunity here for me to create something. I don't know, whatever. But last last year this time, I literally was on a plane to Greece for an artist residency that was 15 day residency. And I thought I was gonna write like a choral album because I've been working with social justice choirs. And I get there and they're like, here's your studio. And it's like this abandoned town, half abandoned town with like all these stone buildings that are like crumbling. And mine was like this arched stone room with a grand piano in it. And I was like, and we're making a piano record. Like that just is what has to happen. And so I had all these lists of affirmation themes, a list of 10 of them actually. And I was like, okay, let's make six 10 minute pieces that are designed to take you from where you are at, whether it's sad or lonely or anxious and over the six minutes, bring you to a place of peace and calm and also keep you present in the process. So not too melodic. I had a bell. I used some of my breathing and humming. And then I, I made small little motifs on the piano, but I also like plucked piano strings. And then I took all that audio and kind of like messed with it with panning and reversing the audio and doing some some stuff in the so the production in the mix was actually part of the composition process and that turned into this new age record called luminary that's now it's been number one on itunes and amazon and it's like up for grammy nomination we're playing the grammy nomination game now i can't say it's up for it it's eligible to be nominated it will be speak it into the universe yeah yeah so it was kind of a little like in the back of my mind, solution came very organically. It wasn't something I set out to do. I wasn't looking at numbers or, or anything like that. Like, how is it more likely to get on a chart in a different genre? Like, that all plays into it now. But it was kind of like, yeah, let's just do this for me. Mm-hmm. And then, um, actually, the app I used skipped a day when I went to Greece because of the time zone. And I was like, oh, I was at day 500. And so I got in touch with their tech people. And they were like, no problem. We see that you meditated and like they figured out that I did actually like do right. the meditation. And they're like, what are you doing in Greece? And I was like, oh, I'm recording some meditation album. And they're like, oh, we have music on this app. And I was like, oh, that's fun. They're like, we have 2 million users. Do you want to put your music on the app? And like, boom, instant users. And then, you know, submitted it to other apps, Simple Habit, Insight Timer. And I was like, oh, people are like positive comments, like hundreds and hundreds of comments, thousands of people listening. And I was like, okay, so I have, there's a, this is a thing. This is Okie doke. Here we go. <laughs> so so there was a reason that happened. That's so yeah. There's, that's that story. Yeah. I think that's so wonderful. And like, I'm so inspired by you because the the way that we connected, because um, I'm part of the community artist collective, and so you were one of the one of Evan's guest speakers. And so you know, when the whole lockdown first happened, because I'm a singer songwriter, and so this yeah. whole journey of meditation and all of this is still pretty new to me. I've only been meditating for a year and, and some change, and so. Um, when I heard you speak and talk about meditation, and all of that, that's how I got introduced to the Simple Habit app. So I was listening to that 
and that's how I learned about you. And so I was so inspired by that. And so I used to uh, host the guided meditations on my Instagram, listening to other people host it. And then I felt finally, you know, encouraged enough to host my own. So thank you for inspiring me to do that. I I appreciate you and what you're doing. So I think it's absolutely incredible and life-changing. It's helped me with anxiety and depression and all of that. So it's incredible to hear it from you, especially as a person that uses their logical, uh, logical mind and as a scientist. So can you talk a little bit more about the science behind that for those that are listening that may be a little bit more skeptical, that are like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, maybe meditation is a waste of time. What does it actually do? Because I know that's what I used to think, especially when I'm like, I don't have time to meditate today. And now I'm like, okay, no, I need to make time. When you don't have time is when you need to make time. So can you right, explain like, a little bit more about the science behind it? Yeah, no, I definitely, I yes. And I've heard that, like, how do you, how can you afford to do an hour meditation, like once a week? And I was like, how can you afford not to? Right. Uh, it's, it's really, it was really incredible. I listened to a podcast recently that said that people that meditate, the long-term meditators, and I think they define that as people that have been meditating um, regularly for more than five years, end up having brain patterns um, of someone who is, what is it, four to seven years younger than them. But so wow. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm like keeping my brain young. Okay. There's that. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of, of, stuff around what is meditation and it really is just being able to have some sort of say in where your thoughts go and so literally just sitting there and like noticing that your thoughts are going somewhere else and being like oh hey there go my thoughts and then bringing it back and and something that it's is easy to bring back to is is your breath so you're focusing on your breathing you don't have to it, if you don't focus on your breathing, you could sit there and be like this is the dumbest thing ever i can't believe i'm sitting still i have so much stuff to do cool. You're meditating. You're just noticing your thoughts. And I think that there's a lot of like, oh, it's got to look, you have to sit a certain way. You have to be on a certain kind of pillow. And I, I don't think I, I, that's not what it is for me. I, I do now have a pillow that I sit on that I like. <laughs> I not really mean that that has to be it. There is also some sort of like energetic. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's like research that's been done around, um, you know, having a sort of the masculine and the feminine side, similar to how we talk about our right brain and the left brain, like being more analytical and whatnot. But um, the idea that the feminine side is your left side of your body and the masculine is the right. And everyone has both. This isn't mm-hmm. like a male, this isn't a gender thing. It's just energetics. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the idea that the, the feminine side really needs to be engaged with to support the masculine side. So our decision-making and that sort of thing. So in, in the record, I did a lot of subtle panning. So in the beginning of the piece, there are some certain sounds that are on the left side, kind of awakening that feminine part of you. And, and then they come and they come a little bit lower and then they land in a, in a sort of more solid um, on the right side. So if you're listening with headphones, you actually notice a very subtle movement sort of going along with that idea of the energy flows from left to right in our bodies. Um, so there's a little bit of that, that I took into the record. I definitely played around with, um, resting heart rates. And one of the things I wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure is I did not want to put a disclaimer on this. Like, please don't listen to this while driving or operating heavy machinery. Like you hear that in the beginning of some meditation albums. And this, I actually encourage, like I honk less when I'm driving, when I am listening to this record. And Mm -hmm. I made sure that the, the tempos, even though it doesn't seem like there is a tempo. There's actually every piece is uh, to a click. Um, so there is a tempo and none of the tempos are anywhere near a resting heart rate, an average resting heart rate, meaning the beats per minute are higher. So it's like a walking or cooking or reading or working tempo um, or driving so that it's it's designed to not get, get in sync with your heart rate 
if it does get in sync with your heart rate, which sometimes music does for people and some people are more to that than others, that if you were to sync up with that heart rate, it's not going to lower your heart rate. Like when you go into a club and you hear that, that gets your heart rate up, that's slower classical music. And the Mozart effect has a ton of science behind this, but that brings your heart rate down. So I sort of did some work around that too, to make sure that this wouldn't, this would help you stay present and not necessarily um, zone out in a way that was not safe. Gotcha. Wow. Very conscious, conscious music. I love that. Um, did you have any um, new age artists or meditation artists that you were inspired by, or was this completely just from your own creation? Because that's something that I had trouble with. And, you know, I created a couple meditation tracks so far, but I've had trouble finding other artists that, that are kind of mainstream, if you will. So I'm curious if you've had anyone that you found that you, uh, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of what um, there's a lot of piano music in the new age category. And to me, I think it could be actually just like neoclassical, like new new classical music. Um, I think that actual new age there. Then there's also the world music and world mm -hmm. music bringing in specific um, specific sounds from specific countries. And that is not what I was doing. And that would be mm -hmm. inauthentic for me to even declare this record as as new world um, or a uh, world music. So what you're left with is is like this um, people that are playing piano and doing piano music, but happen to be in the in the new age category. And also Enya is the most mainstream new age artist that we know out there, right? So a lot of like vocal, ethereal kind of stuff. And and hers is very melodic, which is why she was able to get onto pop charts, right? Because there was an element of um, that just melodic singable stuff. So that again, not something I wanted to put in here because I didn't want the music to take you away from your thoughts, but rather like, quite the opposite keep you present to them gotcha. um so my my answer is no I, I grew up loving Enya and loving classical piano and playing classical piano so I feel like there was always like a nod to this world but I don't sit and listen to like chants or ohms or any of that other kind of stuff that was what I was like trying to listen to and just like could mm -hmm. not stay present with that um I get the value in it for for a lot of people but that so I I kind of think my answer is like, no, I kind of won it. I kind of, I think I looked for this. And so I definitely know I was creating something that I couldn't find. That's amazing. That's really awesome. So would you say now, um, as far as moving forward, and I definitely want to talk about the business that you've created as well, helping independent artists, you know, what's next for you? Are you trying to become like that, you know, that artist, if you will, or are you just kind of wearing multiple, multiple hats? Are you still trying to get placements or what does your career look like now? Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I do a lot of things a lot of the time. And I think that I love wearing multiple hats, but I also am looking at what have I done differently with this record? Because this record, I think, is one of the more successful projects that, that I've done. Um, just having seen it land on some charts that I thought were impossible for it to get on and and the sales of it and all this other stuff. So I, and I was like, what was, what was it about this record? And when I think about the two weeks I had in Greece, there was really terrible Wi-Fi. There were like goats walking around the town and like, that's it. So I, I was focused in this creative process more than I've ever focused in a creative process again, to the point where I wasn't even, there was nothing on social media to be checking. Like I was just not, uh, my head was just in this one place. Mm -hmm. And then when I mixed this, I, I mixed it at a different residency and that I was super focused there. And then I just became single minded about getting on the charts with this. As soon as I realized, okay, we're, we're going to go release this and do the full, it's my fifth record. I can't believe it's in this genre. Um, and all I talked about was getting on the charts and I showed my fans how to get on them. 
what it meant, where they could pre-order it from, where they could follow, like hear, hear all the things. And I, all I talked about, people were like, what was your strategy? Get on the, like, what was your big marketing strategy? I was like, mm -hmm. talking, like I talked about it. Like that's literally all I did was talk about this. So I'm realizing, and I'm reading this book called The One Thing, I'm realizing that the focus is really where it's at. So for me right now, to have an opportunity to be eligible to be nominated for a Grammy when in, in a category that is one of the smaller categories, my all of my eggs are in this basket. And I do, I have another branch of what I do, which is um, supporting independent musicians. I have a couple online programs, stuff that I've learned. Um, I, I actually have a lot of career coaching training. So I do a little bit of that. Um, and so I'm responsible for those. I have a, a membership called Amplify that is one of the most empowering, amazing, beautiful places on the internet for working independent musicians that are kind of ready to level up their careers. And that's a monthly thing. We have calls every week and we do a lot of really inspiring stuff in that group. So other than going there and honestly, like the work I'm doing for Luminary, the record, I'm doing all the exercises and stuff that we do in Amplify. And I'm, I do the work too. I'm just applying it to, to this project. So right now, everything is a little singular focused. Um, I am working on a on a social justice piece that I wrote three years ago based on a Martin Luther King speech. And right now we're doing a virtual choir version of it with Martin Luther King's goddaughter singing one of the solos. Wow. So we're, you know, that that's definitely got a big place. It Again, that's not like a gig. No one's paying me for that. And if they were, I would be donating that to, you know, NAACP or Black Lives Matter. But that's that's the work that I love to do. And so that's that's not like a gig to me. Um, so right now the, the gig is support other musicians, including myself and just doing that work um, to get whatever the next goal is. And I think that's different for a lot of people. I mean, mine right now is a Grammy nomination, which is crazy to say out loud, but um, <laughs> that's, that's kind of the world's the world I'm in right now. So I don't know what's next after I think the voting first round voting ends up in October, but it's kind of like, pedal to the metal until then. <laughs> that's really exciting. I think that's really great. That's awesome. Um, what made you decide, you know what, I'm going to take all of the knowledge that I've learned, everything that I've experienced, and I'm going to go ahead and share this with the world and independent artists and create this coaching program? Because that is a big undertaking. What made you decide to do that? It is. I didn't know it was a big undertaking. I got asked to speak <laughs> at a music conference. And in that music conference, the CEO of Reverb Nation, Lou Plyo, was there. And he was like, you need to write a book. And I was like, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> Who's got time to write a book? Um, he's like, no, you are saying stuff that like other musicians are trying to figure out and you figured it out. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I, start, I put together like a PDF, like a course-ish thing. I was like, I'm not writing a book. It's like 68 pages. I'm like, it's not a book. <laughs> but I was, um, so I did that and started speaking more and getting asked to speak like South by Southwest and ASCAP Expo and all the like the bigger speaking places. And I was like, oh, and I realized a lot of musicians had a lot of the same questions and would reach out, out to me afterwards. And I found myself answering a lot of the same questions. And they were questions that I had that I had looked for the answer and then done all this work to try to find. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, shame on me for not sharing this. Like put it in a format that's a, that you can share and like get it out there and also stop answering the same question 400 times a day. Like that's not going to serve you either in developing your career. So I, I did some, did some training. I got like 750 hours of career coaching training so that I could really like listen for what was blocking other musicians and not just say, well, here's what I did that worked. Cause there's a hundred ways right. to do it. Right. And, right. Um, so I did that. And then I also went down a rabbit hole of email marketing because I realized that was one of the things that was really supporting me. Anytime I, I did a record, I was able to fan fund it for 
at least between 15 and $25,000 every time I did a record. My fan and my fan list is not that huge. And they would just show up. And I knew that it was because I was doing email, right? But I didn't know what it was about email. So I took some courses and I went to some like super dorky marketing conferences totally outside of the music industry and learned a lot about that stuff and kind of repackaged everything I learned specifically for musicians and created Rock Your Email List, which is a course that's been totally transforming some musicians' relationships with their fans and their income because they're able to, the, the statistic is you should be making one to $2 per subscriber per month. And so if you have a thousand people on your email list, that's a thousand dollars a month. If you're doing email, right. That's how, you know, if you're doing email, right. Um, gotcha. so yeah, it was all stuff that I either wish I had known or was learning and couldn't find out there. There are no other courses specifically for musicians going this deep into email. So I was like, Oh, gotta create it. Okay, fine. And it was never like, I'm going to create an academy for musicians. It was kind of like, I have this information, let's package it in a way that's really easy to understand and that will serve other musicians um, as well. And so it's been it's been fun to do that. And the membership was um, something I've been doing for about four years and just really been amping it up recently because I see how important community is, especially with the pandemic. And so um, that's been really rewarding to be able to have those relationships and that cross promotion and the support and all that stuff that goes on mm -hmm. within a real community, not just a Facebook group. So. Absolutely. I mean, the timing is, is perfect for you to be launching this. I think that's wonderful. Um, wow. What would, what would you say is the biggest mistake you see independent artists making that if you could just grab them and shake them and say, wow, I see your talent. I see your potential. I see, I see it. I see it. I see it. But you're just, you're making that one mistake and I keep seeing it over and over and over again. What would you say is the biggest message you'd want to like scream at the top of your lungs? Stop doing this. If That's you could. a good question. Um, I think it's when I see someone just kind of going in autopilot where they think <laughs> they know what the career is supposed to look like because they've seen someone else do it, but they're not actually clear on what they want. Mm -hmm. I see it all the time. Mm -hmm. A musician does not know what they actually want. And they get asked like, so what do you want with your career? And this is why people hate those like family dinners where the uncle's like, what's going on? If you were like, oh yeah, this is the game I'm playing. This is what I'm up to. Like there, that wouldn't be a problem. But when you're not clear on what you want, no one else knows how to show up for you. No one else knows how to contribute to you. And so that clarity, and, and it can be short-term. It can be like, I want, I'm, my game is I'm getting 250 followers on Spotify by the end of the summer, by August 31st. Like that's, that's what's happening. And like, that clarity is very powerful. It does not matter what the number is. And, but I, in Amplify, we talk about champagne wins. Like be so specific that your friends know when to break out the champagne. Like you can't say, I want more fans or I want more money. Like if you found a dollar on the ground, okay, cool. You just got more money. Are we breaking out champagne for that? I mean, right. I love a good excuse to break out champagne, but like, that's not, so getting, getting so clear on what your goal is so that it lights you up and it feels challenging, but it also feels achievable. Like that's the, the sort of happy space. And I think that so many musicians are just going by what they think they should. I think there's a lot of shoulding on themselves. Should, 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 I should do this. I should go after licensing. I should learn how to produce. I learned, I should tour. I should, but really taking the time and doing the work to figure out like what would really make this like a, hell yes, this was an awesome year. And what would happen that would have you say that? That is so true. Clarity is, is power. That's, that's a good point. I feel like I've been there and I'm kind of like, I'm kind of at that space myself as an artist is that I know I can do it now. I feel like I've, I've, I've cleared a lot of blockages, but then you're at a point where, okay, you know, you can do it. Now, what are you going to do? 
So I think that's such a such a valid point. That's fantastic. So I always like to end every episode with, you know, just sharing some words of wisdom. And Cheryl, you've shared so many, so many gems already. So what would you say are your words of wisdom you'd like to share before we sign off? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think take a look at where you are in your career. Um, meaning, are you in like a learning phase? Are you in creation phase? Are you in like, I need to dot my I's and cross my T's phase? Or am I promoting or pitching? Or am I just kind of like doing the gigs, the stuff works coming in? Those are like, to me, those are there are five phases of any musician's like success cycle. That's what we call an Amplify. And the reason why you want to get clear on what kind of phase you're in and own it is so that you don't get, and, and I speak from experience, that shiny object syndrome, like squirrel. Like it's so easy to be like, okay, I'm recording, I'm recording. Oh, this would be really good. To, this song would be really good on this blog. I'm gonna go research that blog. And who's the, who's the person I need to read? And then boom, you're out of that creative flow. The second you're jumping all the way to the promotion, you have nothing to pitch right now. Like, what are you doing? But our brains do that and we let them. So owning where you are and taking actions to get yourself through that phase into the next one, I think is really, really powerful and will set you up better for when it's actually time to go do the next thing, whatever that is. I think that's beautiful. One more question I have then, how do you know what you need to focus on and when you should focus on it? I have a quiz in Slide Amplify. It's like a personality quiz for music career. If you're not an Amplify, you can get on the wait list. But if you are um, curious now, I think, I think it's kind of look at what are you what are you doing right now what is really consuming your heart and your mind mm -hmm. and if it's if it's all about that creation great if the stuff that's stressing you out is like oh i have to upload i have to do the metadata like okay cool own that like finish your website set yourself up for pitching like don't go pitching something if you have nothing to send yet like i think a lot of musicians like to hang out in the pitching phase or in the creation phase and they ignore the the sort of admin phase or the learning phase, which is phase one. And we, by the way, we come through the cycle several times. It's like, I've gone through it 10 times in my life. You just always are leveling up and going through and learning again and re I call the first phase learning and determining. So you're really, you maybe you're taking on a skill or you're learning to produce your songs finally, but that means you have to re evaluate what's your goal for this time around the cycle, determine what it is you're trying to create for this time around. So that might be you too. And if you, if you're kind of, gliding through blindly, it all comes back to that clarity and, and being really clear on what it is you want right now. And it, that can change. You know, this isn't like for my life in 15 years from now, you can be like, all right, this is what I'm working for for the next three months, six months, year, whatever it is. So um, yeah, take a look at what you're doing right now, where your heart is and, and be real with yourself. You may want to be in a certain phase, but if you can kind of get real and be like, all right, I'm actually here and I'll get there eventually and I'll get there and be better when I am there because of the work I'm doing now. I think that that will help you focus in on whether you need to do some really just boring admin work or you need to finish that mix that's been bugging you and you can't figure out like whatever it is, kind of get in and, and finish it so that you can move on, like really move on. Is the book that you're reading the one thing, is that by Gary Keller? Yes. There's also a guys, it's a couple people. I don't have it in front of me. Passive, okay. passive, 
I thought it was a Gary, but I didn't think it was. Maybe it's Gary. Hold on. I'm going to look for you. Yeah, because he, because I, I used to be in real estate. So I think that title sounds familiar. Uh, I've read that book. It's a fantastic book. And something that I remember I took away, if that's the book you're reading. Yeah. That, it is. Wow. Gary Keller and That's so interesting that you're reading that book of all books, because I've read that book twice when I was in real estate and it's still holds true even in real in, in, in music um, because something that he said in the book that I took away is that basically he's saying that there's no such thing as balance and that you're going to have to just focus on the one thing and like that was such a aha for me because I feel like we live in a culture where oh balance you know work-life balance and he's like no sometimes you just have to really focus intently on that one thing and I'm like whoa that's a concept we don't really hear and so when I was in real estate for a while, when I kind of walked away from music, um, I found that I did that and I was successful. And so a lot of the systems and tools that I learned in real estate, I've applied to music. And really the thing that we learned in the Keller Williams model, which is his business, is that real estate is just following the schedule. And so I've really applied that in music is that, okay, once you've figured out systems and models within your music business, once you, you can just follow that and you can optimize and organize a lot of what you do. It's just you need to reevaluate your systems and models and that they're working for you. And it sounds like Amplify has a lot of systems and models that can work for, for musicians. So I think that's really exciting. Um, so I definitely want to want to check that out. So it sounds like you have a lot of wisdom. So um, please tell everybody how they can best support you, where they can follow you, and how they can get on the waiting list for, for Amplify. Yeah, if you... Um... I'm on Instagram at CBE music. That's my handle pretty much everywhere except Twitter where it's just CBE, which has been tricky. Um, I'm also in the key of success. So if you want to find out more about Amplify, you can go to in the slash Amplify. But if you just go to in the key of success.com, there will be um, all the resources I've created for musicians are there. You can also access that through the, the ticker down there, cbemusic.com, which is sort of the hub for all the things, including the record luminary. Um, so that's yeah all the stuff lives there yay very exciting and i want to wish you all of the success with getting that uh grammy nomination which is that is really cool um how does that work i'm curious to know so basically the board just decides whether or not you'd be up for a nomination that's where you're at right now you have to qualify you have to be a voting member which i am and then you have to okay. qualify um there's certain things that you have to have a certain number of releases, or this is what it was at least to become a member. Um, and once you are a, a member, you can submit um, your your piece, your body of work to whatever genre it fits into. And there are certain parameters for that genre. Um, you know, 51% have to be original music, you know, whatever the, the parameters are. Mm -hmm. And then anyone that submits that, you know, basically anyone can submit once you're, once you're sort of qualified mm -hmm. but then um end of september i think september 30th all the voting members pick their top five in any category and then that's what gets announced as the nominations oh, right so exciting so the first round ballot ideally i'm you know i'm on that and then the second round ballot is what we're actually voting on and that's what they announce on tv the winners of those um that ballot the second round wow very cool well Hopefully we will have a future um, Grammy winning artist on Vibe Talk Music. I'm going to send that out into the universe. Yes. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. Um, anything else you want to share before we sign off? 
No, this is amazing. I'm so glad to be part of this. And thank you for what you're doing for musicians and for bringing that calm. And you've got such a great energy around you. And I'm really excited to be part of this. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Well, we'll definitely stay in touch. And uh, Cheryl's been an absolute blessing uh, getting to know you. And I wish you all of the success. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. To stay in touch, please subscribe to my newsletter over at vibequeenmusic.com to stay up to date with my music, the blog, this podcast, and my segment on Instagram Live, Raise Your Vibe, which features a new guest and a relaxing guided meditation each week. Till next time, and remember, self-awareness is the gateway to inner peace.